So we have talked a lot about intentional communities on this channel. We've talked a lot about, you know, what's going on in the country. And obviously there's a lot of things that we're frustrated with. However, we are not your typical conservative black pill, we're all doomed, boy doesn't this suck sort of channel. We like to actually look at what sort of solutions are out there that will help us not only save our country, but to do so in a way that is actually a lot of fun. Um, builds capabilities, builds stronger families, builds closer connections between parents and their children and their grandchildren. And with us today is Amy Fuel. She is the founder of Homesteaders of America. It is a great organization. I highly recommend that you check it out. We're going to give you some links today. But this is this is one of the groups that I have to tell you is as I was going through, you know, that 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 moment where I, where I'd already been, you know, already been pretty convinced of some of the problems. Um, and just wondering, what are we going to do about this? And I go to this conference for Homesteaders of America, and I just meet some of the greatest people who are just enthusiastic about their various journey on, on various things with homesteading and blacksmithing. And, and I mean, just a wide variety of things. John Lovell was there talking about self-defense. It was great. And, and here's the thing that I noticed. I was surrounded by people that desperately wanted you to succeed. And, and in a world where, quite frankly, we're, we're all developing some trust issues with some pretty critical institutions that used to be beyond reproach within our country. And it was so good to be around people that were, were like-minded. That didn't mean they agreed on everything, but, but like-minded and wanted people to succeed. And so I am very, very happy to have Amy on the show today. And we're going to talk all about her journey through homesteading, through building just a, a world-class organization and a conference that is growing so large right now. They're going to have to find a different venue at some point because tickets get sold out for this thing 45 days after they announce it's coming, eight months before it happens, right? That's where we're at. So we're going to talk about all of that and more coming up on this episode of Making the Argument brought to you. By Good Ranchers. Thank you so much to everyone joining us. If you haven't already, I hope you'll go down to the link in the description of this episode and sign up for our community chat where we'll be having conversations on this topic and much more. We'd love to meet you there. All right. As always, I am your host, Nick Freitas, member of the Virginia House of Delegates for now. But other than that, a reasonably good person. We have with us my beautiful bride, the queen of the bees, Tina. Hello, everyone. I, where's my camera? Over there. I'm in a different seat today. <laughs> <laughs> our producer of producers, Nicholas Hamilton, the good Hamilton, the one that doesn't like central banking. That's right. And our very special guest, Amy Fuel, founder of Homesteaders of America. How are you doing, Amy? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Oh, no, it's it's our pleasure. It's our pleasure. We had a little bit of time before the show to be able to talk about some of the things we're going to talk about today, about your background. But first things first, just give us, give our audience a quick introduction to you, your family, you know, how you started on this journey. Yeah. So that's a long story. I'll try to shorten it up for you. Um, so I grew up around farming. I wasn't necessarily a farmer. Like my dad had a, a large garden. My grandfather had um, beef cattle. And so farming wasn't new to me. Um, and so it's definitely not something I thought I would do though. <laughs> and so my husband and I got married in 2006. Um, we had our first son in 2009. And when he turned a year old, he actually was diagnosed with childhood asthma at a year old. And so I just saw so many medicines they wanted to put him on. And I knew instinctually that was not for us. And so I started researching more natural things, you know, raw milk, growing your own food. And so 
I think the first year I grew a garden and I literally hand hoed this garden in our backyard yeah. and it was like, you know, 10 foot wide or something. And, um, and I got some tomatoes and peppers. And so this was something that I thought, you know, I could really do this. You know, my dad did it. I learned some stuff from him, um, except I didn't pay as much attention probably as I should have <laughs> as a teenager. And so, you know, we just, I got into homesteading and got into herbalism also because um, I knew that my son needed more help than what the medical system was giving him. And so herbal, herbalism really moved me into homesteading because I realized that food and medicine go hand in hand and food is medicine to some degree. And so funny enough, my husband and I talk about this a lot now. Um, he was not necessarily on board with homesteading, which is a common theme in the homestead world. Yeah. Uh, there's always like one spouse who isn't on board. And so, um, he was a little bit pushed back. And so now he's like on board totally and he's running this thing with me and it's amazing. And um, so I just really appreciate him. But so in 2016, um, I actually worked for a media company up until 2016. And I finally got to a place where I could quit my job and be at home with, with my son. And um, I got so bored, I'm like, I can't do this. <laughs> <laughs> and so coincidentally, God had other plans. Yeah. Um, and so I, I quit that job in 2016, August of 2016. And I realized there was no support for this homesteading lifestyle. Um, it was online, but there was really nothing in person. Like there were a few other events, but they weren't homesteading minded. They were just kind of farm hippie type things, yeah. which is fine. That works too. <laughs> um, but so I got this idea. Why can't I create an event, which I had no event experience whatsoever. Um, but create an event where all of these people can come because I don't travel. I don't like traveling. So I'm going to bring people to me um, because <laughs> I didn't have community at the time. Like I didn't even yeah. really have support in my own family. And so it, it was a God thing though. It wasn't about me. It was just, you know, how, how can we make this more possible for people? And so the first year was 2017. We started HOA, Homesteaders of America in 2016, but our first event was in 2017 and we hadn't warranted um, at the Fauquier County Fairgrounds. And we were expecting like 300 people to show up maybe and 1,500 people really? showed up. And I was like, what? This is a little bit crazy. So, <laughs> I, you know, I was expecting to be there for a couple of years before we outgrew that facility, but we grew out of it the first year. Yeah. Um, and so then we took it to Warren County in Warren County Fairgrounds. And um, the second year we doubled. Every year we doubled what we had the first year. And so um, 2020 hit. And we had to take it online because of all the rules and regulations and it was a private property and whatnot. So we had our event online and then 2021 came. It's the first time anybody had been out of their house and um, we were expecting, you know, maybe 4,000 to show up, but everyone who had a ticket showed up yeah. and we were running out of bathrooms and there was a line all the way out to the interstate and the police department showed up. They're like, if you don't get this under control, we're shutting this down. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm like crying in the bathroom, like what is <laughs> happening? <laughs> and, uh, so it was interesting to see the shift. Like it really shifted after 2020. Um, and so this is just kind of where we are. This is our story. We, we started homesteading. We live on a, a larger property now, um, where we can have a cow and gardens and much more than our half acre we had before. Um, and we're just teaching people how to homestead, how to do this. Um, and it's, it's great. Like we've, we could fill a stadium really with the amount of people that want to come each year. No, they, they, one of the things that was amazing is I, I remember the year that I asked if, if I could come 
And um, yeah, I went, oh, I'm just going to, you know, oh, this thing isn't until October. And I, I think I was, I think I was looking in like July or something like mm. that. I was like, oh, it's not till October. Okay, I'll just go on and buy some tickets. Oh, oh yeah, that's adorable. <laughs> right? There was <laughs> yeah. there was there was no tickets available. Um and and you know, I was I was able to, you know, work it out because there were some things that we were going to try to to do and, and provide and kind of report on because I wanted to I wanted to look at how we could carry more homestead food uh, freedom, medical freedom legislation within the General Assembly. And so this provided a great opportunity. And, you know, I'd, I'd met with Joel and uh, Daniel Salatin before we did a, we've, we've done kind of a, um, we did a program called Risk Takers with them talking about some of the things they had done. Uh, and I also, I always joke around with Tina, but I got to, I got to fanboy because I saw Jess from Roots and Refuge. I was like, oh my gosh, it's Jess. Yeah. Guys, it's Jess. Like, okay, Nick, calm down. You're looking a little weird. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and I got to meet, I got it together before I actually went up and said, hi, hi, Miss Jess. Oh my right? goodness. <laughs> but, um, and then uh, John Lovell um, mm-hmm. from Warrior Poets Society. And then, of course, you know, Justin Rowe. I mean, there was just so many people there that have, have been very, very influential online and, and providing support. But here, here's what I want to know. Like, this is the part where what, what I what I really love about this is like, OK, a lot of people have this idea that, OK, well, if you're going to be involved in this, well, then you've, you've got to have your, you know, 50 acres right. and your tractor and, and you better be an expert in all this other stuff. And when I, it's like, that's not how you started. Mm-hmm. You, you had a little bit of exposure to it, you know, growing up, not massive amounts, but a little bit of exposure. It's not like you had a massive property to be able to do all this on, but you, there was a need, right. you know, there was a need within your family. You didn't like the way that the, you know, the industry wanted to meet that need, uh, but that didn't resolve, that didn't absolve you of the responsibility to do something about right. it. And so as you were putting that together, how did you go? Like, cause I know the the first year I started going like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to, we're going to do a bigger garden. That, yeah. that was my, my step was not, I'm going to build an international right. organization <laughs> with thousands of people yeah. coming. And this is the part where as, as cool as I thought I was, where I was like, oh no, I have not five, but 12 tomato plants this year. That's right. That's right. Homesteader guy right here. And then you read Amy's story. It's like, oh my gosh, she went from like, you know what? I got a garden. I, we need support. There's a lot of people interested in it. They need support. Again, I'm going to build an organization. And you did. Right. Like in a year. Yeah. That's super cool. It is cool. And I, again, that like, that's totally a God thing. Cause I could not have done that on my own, but it was, it was the perfect timing. Like, you know, I, we built it and it just kind of kept building itself and people just kept coming and supporting. And because there was a need, like I said, there were, there were other events, but they were either super big ag Mm. or uh, which is fine to some extent, except, you know, most people don't do the big, you know, thousand acre farm like Joel Salatin. Like we all want to be Joel Salatin, (laughs) but that's unrealistic for a lot of people. Um, And so we did, we started on a half acre and we had a pretty good garden and we had meat rabbits and quail. I mean, there's so much you can do on a small property. And so just seeing that need and I mean, to see how drastically the homesteading community has changed over the last 10 years is incredible. How so? How so? Well, so in the beginning, it was just, you know, random people were growing a garden. This was just something we're going to do. And then it kind of got trendy. Like everyone wanted to do it because it was a trend and they saw Jess on, you know, Roots and mm-hmm. Refuge doing, I want to be like Jess or I want to be like somebody else, you yeah. know? And so, and there's still people who do that. Um, it became a trend. And then a lot of those people dropped off. But when 2020 hit, that's when you got the serious people. Like that's when people were like, there's something wrong here. Mm-hmm. And it's, we can't, 
not see it now. And we're going to start doing this because what if it happens again? Or what if something worse happens? And so it's really changed. We did a, a, a poll um, last year where we had people answer a bunch of questions and about themselves and mm -hmm. where they were and what they were doing, why they were homesteading. And that's how it began. Like people who homesteaded seven years ago, they were homesteading because they wanted to live a healthier lifestyle. Yeah. But now they're homesteading because they see the broken system. Plus they want to live a healthy lifestyle. But, um, you know, it's more so for sustainability and building community and having people around you when stuff happens, when you can't go to the grocery store. Um, so it's kind of shifted in a lot of different ways. So, so would you describe it like originally this was almost more kind of like, I guess what, what you would have called like hobby farming. Mm -hmm. It's like this is kind of a fun little neat thing to do, but it, it, it's almost not something that people were building in as a form of resilience. Right. It was more, I've got some extra money and I like animals. Right? Yeah, it was. Yeah. I mean, you had people who maybe grew up around homesteading and their parents did it. So this was just a way of living. Um, but and then you had the people who were like, oh, I'm going to go buy a tomato plant from Lowe's and grow it, you know. Yeah. And But then it, it had, there's different you know, people in homesteading, there's different groups of homesteading. Like you have preppers who are just prepping, like yeah. they barely have gardens, but we still consider them homesteaders because it's all about food and health. Um, and then you have people who live on a hundred acre ranch and they're still homesteaders too. And then you have people who are, you know, rooftop gardening where they have a couple of things, but what they're doing is they're cultivating community in yeah. their community. They're visiting farmers markets. They're um, trying to network people, which is really important. I mean, you know, I have a lot of people who say, well, I live in New York city and how am I supposed to homestead there? And so maybe you're not homesteading or maybe you find a community garden, but what you can do is connect those farmers to the people in New York city so that they've now shortened that food source. And so we consider that homesteading too. Well, it's in we had this, um, Christian and I were debating on this one day, like what is, what's the difference between a homesteader versus a gardener versus a farmer versus, I said, well, I, I said the way, if I had to, you know, define it, um, outside of just like doing a Google search for it, right? It, it was this idea that I, if I'm if I'm farming a thousand acres of a monoculture crop, I'm not really homesteading. I'm right. I'm a farmer, and that's a great thing. And if I'm if I'm someone where I just I kind of grow like a little herb garden and whatnot, great. I'm I'm gardening, and and all those things are a part of homesteading culture. It, the thing that I I kind of fell onto was what you were mentioning before. It was it's it's not just how many animals am I raising or, or how much of, how much of my own food do I preserve right. or what? That's all a part of it. But it, it really, it really to me seems like it's, it's more of a, a cultural mindset toward this idea of, again, wanting to eat healthier, wanting to, um, you know, on the, on the medicinal side, but also that, that idea of resiliency and community. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm not going to, yes, all of us are somewhat, you know, interdependent, um, within our economy. And there's nothing wrong with that right. necessarily, but it is the idea of there are certain things that are so fundamental to my family's well-being that I don't want to totally outsource it. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that's one of the things that I found within the homesteading that that is one of the things that regardless, we have different religions, different political philosophies, um, you know, different backgrounds, different mindsets. But one of the things I've noticed, it seems to be pretty uniform within all of it is this is no, this is a part of my life that I don't want to, yeah. I want to have more control over. Um, I mean, has that been your experience? Yeah, it is our experience. I mean, and that's, I think that's why HOA grew so quickly because that is a lot of people's experience. Um, 
you know, as an herbalist, I am able to be with my family at home and give them natural remedies and keep them healthy. I mean, we haven't gone to the doctor in years, like probably over 10 years. And we don't go for fever. We don't go for for anything like that. We're just able to do that at home. And that's liberating. Mm. I mean, that that's freedom that you don't have to run to the doctor to try to get a fever down or try to heal strep throat or whatever it is, you know, we can do that at home. And so people are finding that as they're homesteading and homesteading for different reasons. And, um, you know, we, a homesteader in general, like when you think of history, it, it's somebody who was living on a property yeah. with their home with, you know, maybe a cow and some chickens. And, and that's the classic example of a homesteader. But when you think about it, they did that because they had to, Yeah, you know, and my goal, I've always say this to people. My goal is during the great depression, the people who lived in the country, the people who lived in the mountains, they had no idea that the great depression was even happening because this is just how they lived. They grew their own food. They went to town maybe once a week or every few weeks. Um, and that's my goal. Like, <laughs> to come be on the podcast. It's like, why can't I just stay home? Like I love staying home, you know, <laughs> but, but isn't that good goals? Like you don't, yeah. you don't have to leave if yeah. you don't want to leave because everything is already there. Yeah. I mean, there's still stuff like I'm not growing wheat at my, my property right now enough for us to make bread every week. But that's when you shorten that food system and you go to your home center next door to you that does grow it and, you know, be with them and barter with them and, Resiliency is important. I mean, that's one of our greatest goals is um, to bring everything back home, home education, home grown food, home birthing. I mean, it's just there's so many things that we could be doing at home that people need to be empowered to do. Like people think they've been told that they're not smart enough to do this. And that's what it boils down to. We've been told we're not smart enough by the system. We're not smart enough by professionals. And that's not true. That could not be further from the truth. No, I, I think that's fascinating. I've obviously, you know, um, we homeschool as well. And it, and it's amazing to me the number of parents that are so intimidated by homeschooling, not because they're, they're not intelligent people or capable of going online and finding a, a curriculum that they could assist their, their students with, but because they've just been convinced um, and, and oftentimes by an industry that, well, there's no way you could do this. Where's your right. master's degree? And it's, oh yeah, because there's no way you could teach your kid to read unless you've got a master's degree at a university that taught you critical pedagogy, yeah. you know, from a, a, from a Marxist, right? Oh yeah, there's no way you could do it. And, and it's, again, it was one of the things with homesteading that I found so um, appealing was, again, there's a thousand different people out there that can't wait to help you. And, and, and it's not that everybody has the same skill level and it's not that you're not going to fail. Um, I, I mean, each year, each year I, I think like, yeah, this is going to be the year where everything's perfect and something always goes wrong, but we get better. And, and that, and it's, and then you get these little victories where it's like my tomato crop came in that my watermelons didn't suck. Right. <laughs> like it's, I have a and, question though. Yeah. Um, so you talked about like all basically the array of homesteaders and, and where it starts and kind of, I guess you would say the there's like a spectrum. Right. And uh, so at what point can somebody call themselves a homesteader? Because originally you we, we watched like Homestead Rescue and stuff like that and everybody was trying to be off grid. And so I was like, oh, are you only a homesteader if you're off grid mm-hmm. or are you a homesteader after you, you have X number of animals and this <laughs> much food and you're milling your own grain, you know? At what point? Yeah. So at our first uh, event, Joel Salatin actually talked about 
the term homestead. And so he broke it down. He said, you know, home instead. It's all about bringing it home and being steadfast in that. And so that might look different for everyone. So this was a huge debate. Like people didn't even know the word homesteading before yeah. HOA. It's kind of incredible. They're like, what is homesteading? They would always think, you know, to, to people that were doing it, you know, on a farm in the middle of nowhere. Um, but to me, I feel like homesteading now is a culture. Are you part of that homesteading culture? Are you trying to be better in your food sources. And, you know, like we have a girl talking this year. She lives in a townhouse on a postage stamp. I mean, literally she can't have chickens or anything, but that girl cans more than I do. And she does it by like going to the grocery store and getting discounted food. Um, And then she like, she took um, asparagus or something and uh, she cut the ends off and normally we would throw those away or throw them to our chickens, right? Nope, she didn't. She put it in a jar and pickled it. She's like <laughs> literally using every bit of food, but I would call her a homesteader because yeah. she's preserving for the future. She's doing it just a different way. And so I don't typically label people because yeah. there's some people who are doing more than I am and I'm growing the food, but they might be purchasing it from a farmer, but they still have that homesteading mindset. So, I mean, it used to be a huge debate. Like people would, they'd go on YouTube and say, you're not a real homesteader. <laughs> I mean, it was a thing. Y'all. So it was like gatekeeping. Yeah. Like yeah. They're, they're like, Ugh. we actually had somebody, you're- we had somebody <laughs> mention to our, our future son-in-law that like Nick, Nick being homesteader, I've been doing this for 10 oh, years. Yeah. How long has he been doing this? Da, 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 da. And I'm like, are you serious? Well, like, and here, here's the thing I'll say. I always, I do, I do try to be respectful. And, and when people ask me like, Oh, do you, you homestead? I'm like, well, look, this is what we do. Right. And this is what, this is what we're trying to do. Like, I'm not, I'm not claiming that I'm, you know, again, Joel Salatin or, or whatnot. Um, but it, again, the, the culture of it is what I find. So, and, and the inviting nature of that culture as well. Like I, honestly walking around there, you, you almost, when you, when you get started, it's almost intimidating when you're around people that have been doing this for a long time. And you're wondering like, I don't have enough homesteading merit badges to, to be able to be here. And and it's just not like that. Um, We got a couple questions from people. These are, so Scott McClee asks, uh, are there things that the government is doing to regulate the sale of products or the ownership of livestock? I have heard there've been issues in some States because people were selling milk. I, I, I will definitely go off on this question. (laughs) (laughs) What what, would you want to add? Add some things from your experience. Yeah. So, I mean, every state is different, of course, as you know, with raw milk. Like, why can't we buy raw milk? You yeah. know, we had this conversation before the podcast. Why are why is food regulated? Why are there certain foods regulated than other foods? So, you know, the government's thing has always been, well, raw milk can kill people. Well, that's more kids die from drowning in pools every year mm-hmm. than they have in the history of ever from raw milk. I think it's like maybe one person, three people in the last 20 years have died from drinking raw milk. Yeah. And so why is that regulated? I mean, you have more people getting salmonella from salad at the grocery store than getting listeria from raw milk. And so, yeah, they, they do, they regulate stuff. You would know more about that than I would. My gosh, Scott, let me tell you something, man. They, um, they regulate the hell out of everything in, in this this country, and they get it, and they they regularly get it wrong with things like the food pyramid, which we're now discovering. Oh, this had a lot more to do with powerful industries lobbying the government than it did with actual understanding of human nutrition and and the way your body processes things. So I, I will I will say this: it is here's what will boggle your mind. 
Um, as Amy just said, like it, it varies by state to state, but there's also a litany of federal regulations. And we've seen situations, Maine was a perfect example of this, where they really, they just tried to provide options where it was like, all right, look, at the local level, you want to set up various things, you can do that. You just have to inform people. And it was the federal government, which by the way, has no juris constitutional jurisdiction to do this, right? They, they can have, they can claim some right to regulating interstate commerce, they have no authority over intrastate commerce. And they basically went in and said, if you follow through this legislation, or if you follow through this legislation and you allow this within Maine, we're going to seriously consider shutting down your USDA approved processing. That's crazy. And of course, every industry that relies upon that for interstate commerce immediately comes in and goes, we can't have this. Mm -hmm. Like we, we can't do this. It'd be catastrophic. I would have loved, I would have loved to see a Maine governor be like, oh, you want to do that? Okay, let's, let's see. You know, we need we need more governors that are willing to stand up to the federal government and say, nah, sorry, yeah. you don't have jurisdiction for this. Um, so, yeah, the problem is there's a 10 and, and selling milk has become a huge problem. Like you cannot buy it like in Virginia, you cannot buy raw milk. So how do you get raw milk? Well, you can have a cow share. What does that mean? Well, somebody else has cows and you buy a share of the cow. And the reason why you can have raw milk that way is because we, we think Scott Lingenfelter, Delegate Lingenfelter was the one that carried this legislation and it said, you cannot be denied access to the, the produce, you know, the production of animals you own. Right. So the government can't come in and say, you're not allowed to drink that milk. We haven't inspected it. It's like, this is my cow. This is my milk, right? right? I, can, I can do what I want. And so they did that. So now people were able to set up a mechanism where you can have a cow share and because you have partial ownership of the cow, you can have, you're entitled to some, um, some of the, the produce of that cow. And, and it's amazing because I, I carried a raw milk bill in Virginia. I went through weeks of negotiation with Farm Bureau and, and, and other groups to try to come up with something that we could do. And it is amazing to watch the number of people that will show up and say, this will destroy the dairy industry. That's like, crazy. How does this destroy the dairy? Well, Nick, you don't understand because if someone gets raw milk, and then they get sick off the raw milk. And then there's a news report about someone getting sick off the raw milk. The entire dairy industry will suffer. I said, I said, we are sitting in a seven-story building that your organization owns, which means you got a little money. You could set up billboards going, all of our milk is healthfully inspected or whatever it is, if that's what you want to do. But you're honestly telling me that your industry gets destroyed because somebody wants to do a person-to-person -person transaction for raw milk. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's crap. And I'm, I don't believe you. Yeah. And well, here's the thing. Like you can give away raw milk. Yes. But you, but the moment you sell it, then it's illegal. Yeah. Oh, well, no. Then it's it's deadly. Yeah. Like it's gonna kill you because you paid a dollar for it. But Joel Salton talks about this. He goes, "This is the only industry where you can give it away, and and it's not illegal to it's not illegal to get it. It's only illegal to sell it. Right. So, like for instance, if you buy heroin that I sold to you, right? We're both in trouble. I'm in right. trouble for selling it. You're in trouble for buying it. But if I sell you raw milk, I'm in trouble for selling it. But you're not, you're not right. in trouble for consuming it or purchasing it. Why? Because we all know what's going on here. Yeah. And so, yeah, to answer, we got another question here. Uh, Freedom Ringer. Question, where should we start when trying to influence local government to loosen homesteading regulations and open the accessibility of homesteading, excuse me, to people in larger cities? That's why Nick's coming to HOA to speak in October. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, we, and that's one, that's a question we get a lot. I mean, 
here's the thing. You're, nothing's going to happen if you don't do something, you know? And so it, a lot of times it's starting with chickens. It always starts with chickens. Yeah. The so, gateway, the mm-hmm. gateway drug. And Cole Pepper just passed a regulation saying that you can't have chickens within the city limits. I saw that. Town limits. Yeah. Yeah. Town town limits. Yeah. Yeah. And so we get that, that, that question is very popular with us. Like, okay, our town just passed this or our County just passed. It's like Falk here is an entire County that has regulations on chickens. And so how do we do this? And it, anything worth fighting for takes a while. You know, you're going to have to show up to the meetings. You're going to have to write to the people that you're, you know, in your town or community. Now for us, we lived in an HOA. Um, conveniently, that's, yeah. you know, the same. I know that. Everybody <laughs> I always say that Homesteaders of America is the only HOA I like. Yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> I, I have people that get mad at me every year. They're like, you should have used a different, you know, whatever. I like it. It's great. But uh, we lived in a, a rural HOA. And so we had our, our bylaws and stuff. Like you're not allowed to have chickens. You're not allowed to have livestock. You're not allowed to do it. Well, guess what? If you get everybody in your HOA on board and they all get chickens and they all get a goat, who's stopping them? Mm-hmm. Nobody. Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to the stop board. <laughs> and yeah. not even that. I mean, there was just, there were so many people that were doing it. They just gave up. <laughs> they just gave up. Like they're like, we're not even going to, you know? And so, um, and so we did, we had chickens and rabbits and quail and, and all kinds of, I mean, I had 50 chickens on that property at one point, which was probably too many, but you, pushing back. I mean, there's um, all, you don't know if you don't know who your neighbors are, get yeah. to know your neighbors. Yeah. If it's in your immediate community, then take them and go to your town, go to your community people and leaders that are, are in charge. And if enough people show up, they're going to listen to you. Yeah. Um, you know, as we talked about earlier, don't be rude and screaming your head off and act like a lunatic. Cause then yeah. that gives them more ammo. But now on a higher standpoint, that's why we have Nick coming uh, yeah. in October. Talk about that because that's a question we get a lot. How do we make a difference in the hard bills? Like even the farm bill, you know, that's something we've been posting about coming up and, the amount of homesteaders we just posted on our Instagram, um, we had a congressman say, hey, post this. We need to get people on board. And we shared it, and the phones blew up. Yeah. And that's how we get change going. Oh, I, I shared it off because Massey uh, yeah. with the Prime Act, and then you guys shared it, and it popped up in my Instagram feed, and then I shared it uh, from there because, it, yeah, there, there is a lot that can be done. Um, I, I will say this. What happens at the state level is we will show up with some sort of food freedom, some sort of medical freedom legislation, and the industry shows up in force. And they all have paid lobbyists, and they know what they're doing, and they've built relationships with all these these people. And then, and this is what I'm going to talk about at Homesteaders of America, how to effectively lobby. Because almost every homesteader I know is excellent at homesteading, and they are horrible at lobbying. <laughs> I have, I have had more bills killed by well-meaning homesteaders that were showing up to support me. And I was like, if you could not support me in the way you just did, that would be great. Well, what, what happened? The bill's dead. Oh, well, well, we'll just bring it back and add that amendment. Yeah, maybe next year. Like, that's how long you got to wait now. Yeah. Like, what do you mean? Like, look, you, you know everything there is to know about raising, you know, beef. But when it comes to, you know, working through the legislature, please trust me, I'm on your side, right? I, I want you to be successful. And and a lot of it has to do with what you just said. It's getting to know the people that are going to be casting a vote. So many people think I'm going to show up to a meeting and I'm going to give an impassioned plea with all of my expertise and data. And, and the logic I use is going to be so unassailable that all of these politicians are going to be like, I had no idea. Right. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Thank you. Thank you. Good sir. Let's change the law immediately. That does not happen. That does not happen. Right. It's, it's what, um, 
Oh gosh. Um, um, one one person calls it the Sir Galahad approach to politics. Like I will win because my cause is noble. Uh, yeah, this is politics. Right. <laughs> you know? Nobody cares. And so, yeah. and, and so please let us help you be able to do that more effectively. Yeah, all there the, is all a good the way industries have all these lobbyists, but then there's people that, that like, tell them what happened with raw milk when you carry the raw milk bill. We, we also, we also had some people within the kit. So again, the, the first compromise that we got on, on, anything doing with something that even adjacent to raw milk was the cow shares. Well, certain people had set up cow share businesses and now they didn't want people to be able to buy raw milk um, just straight there because it would have diminished their right. cow shares. And so this is one of the things that I always guard people on is like the moment the government gives you some sort of compromise, be very, very careful. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's worthwhile. It, the net benefit is positive. Other times what they're doing is they're creating new interest groups mm -hmm. that they're going to then use to make sure nobody else can enter the marketplace. There's always sort of a niche uh, group of people who should be on your side right. in the food freedom side and even in the educational choice side and things like that, that they, they have gotten in their mind that they don't want it. They don't want it completely open and free. Or they don't, I mean, even in homeschooling, we get people that are homeschoolers that don't want the school choice bills through. Um, they don't want um, dollars following the students because they don't want any dollars mixing into their homeschool stuff because they believe that with the dollars comes the mandates. Yeah. And so uh, you'll have homeschool groups come and try to kill your school choice bills. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and it's sort of, it's it's shocking, but it, it makes sense if you understand how they're looking at it. Yeah. But all you need is an opt out. Yeah. For they can opt out. Yeah. <laughs> so please don't kill the bill. Right. Yeah. Well, a lot of it just a lot of it just comes with with people. You know, again, this is this isn't they don't live and breathe this. This isn't their everyday life, and so you can completely understand. You know why. The idea is if I just make a good enough argument, that will win, right? It's like, no, there's there's a whole, people have been making other arguments for decades and you're now just coming into this fight. And and so it's about understanding the connections to be able to get what what you want. Because the, the, most, the most important thing is like, look, we want greater freedom. We want greater freedom. And, and one of the ways that you can achieve greater freedom outside of politics is through good ranchers, because that's right. <laughs> Here we go. It wasn't one of my best segues, but that I'm working on it. It wasn't thing. one of my best segues, but yeah. But the reason why I point this out is because as we're talking today about how do you actually build not only greater resiliency, but how do you actually build communities? Well, a lot of that comes with working with and fostering relationships with people and companies that share your values and produce a really, really good product. We can't emphasize it enough. When we talk about, when we bring people on, they're going to talk about an organization. They're going to talk about a company or a product or service that they provide. It is not good enough for us that they just agree with us. We want it to be good because if it's coming from our community, then it should be good. It should be the best. And that's what Good Ranchers does. They have teamed with American farmers to make sure that when that steak, when that bacon, when that ground beef, when that, you know, whatever shows up on your door, you know that where it came from, you know, the quality involved and you know, it's going to taste good. You know what you're getting for your money and you understand that supply chain because it's right there with good ranchers and the American farmers that they actually team with. And if you use promo code Nick right now, you're going to get $25 off your order plus free shipping. Plus if you sign up for one of their inflation proof, that's what I'm going to start calling it now. Inflation proof subscriptions where you get locked into the price for two years, right? You're going to get two pounds 
of ground beef, quality ground beef every month with your subscription. I mean, that's incredible, people. That's It practically pays for itself. So I'm going to encourage you to go to promo code Nick to go and get that deal. Plus also check out a new feature they have, wild caught seafood. All right. So for those of you that loved all the turf you were getting from Good Ranches and thought to yourself, you know what this turf needs? Some surf. Well, they've brought the surf, people. So go on there, check out that subscription. And once again, thank you to Good Ranches for all they do, both with the products and services they provide, as well as supporting our show. All right. We got that a couple. That was not your smoothest transition, babe, but. Oh my gosh. Very good. There is a super chat, by the way, uh, from Chris Christensen. He said, will there be content from the Homesteaders Convention and will it be available online? And if so, where can it be found? Yeah, so we do. So every year we record uh, every lecture that we have because we do have people that can't come and we do like there's a lot of stuff going on during the day and so you might be at one lecture but can't make it to another lecture you want to see and so we do record every lecture and we have that on our membership so um, anybody can go and to the website which is homesteadersofamerica.com and sign up for a membership and they can actually go see literally thousands of hours worth of video content um, from past you know, conferences, uh, we have tiers, different tiers. Uh, we've had some like niche conferences, like smaller ones, 300 people. Uh, we had a business event that's really popular um, where we teach people how to homestead as a business, more like Joel Salton would. And so there's a lot of stuff on there. So if you become a member, it gives you different options of what you want to be. And go, can really you bring cool. up the, um, can you bring up the website yep. here real quick? Now, I don't think there's anything live. Is there anything going out live? Cause it seems like if I remember correctly, the reception was a little sketchy out there in that field. So I wasn't sure if anybody's going live out there. um, We actually, so for members, members get access to the barn. So, which is one of our keynote speaker areas. So they can actually watch a live stream uh, of the barn that whole weekend. Oh, okay. um, If they want to kind of be there and see it live and then everything else would be recorded. And normally that goes back up sometime around November. It takes a while to get rural internet video recordings (laughs) up. So, well, then this is yeah. this is the website homesteadersofamerica.com. Hey, uh, Hamilton, real quick, slide over to where it says blog and just hover oh, over that. Don't click nice on it. So, look you. at this. Like this is what's incredible about this. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because Fiddlestick Man had a question. He goes, "I'm a college student in a small apartment with five other guys. Is there any way to get practical experience before I move and get property?" And and here's what I want to tell you, there, Fiddlestick Man. All right. <laughs> go like I'm gonna I'm gonna keep using your name, dude. Because all right, so you go and look at the blog and, and you have stuff on bees, canning and preserving, chickens, dairy, ducks and other fowl, fermenting, finances, food and recipes, gardening, herbs. And then you join it and then you look at you got the podcast as well where you have some great guests on the podcast. Yeah. You got the videos from the conference, going to the conference. Again, this one's sold out because they sell it so quick. Um but this is a this is a great way to start reading up and start preparing and start getting an idea of what you want to initially try, and then to to Amy's point, um, I mean, you first started gardening on what what was it like? It was a half acre, half acre, yeah, half acre. So again, don't think you got to get a lot. I, there's actually some really interesting videos too on people that have done gardens like on their patio, yeah, um, and and a. And pretty fascinating how much they were able to do mm-hmm. in a very, very small space. Yeah, there's community gardens too. Like I yeah. know Culpeper used to have a community garden. There's a, a different towns have community gardens. And there's actually um, 
If you can find a larger farm near you, especially organic or non-GMO, they will actually take on interns where you can go and they will teach you how to farm and homestead. And some of them will pay you too. And they're aware, like you'd have no experience whatsoever, but they're okay with that. And so those are, those are ways to get that experience too. Yeah. He, he, Joe Salatin at Polyface too. They have a very like elaborate, um, I don't want to call it an internship program, but they've got like, I think two tiers. I forget what it was. Yeah, they call it a stewardship program. Stewardship program. That's yeah. right. Yeah, we, we went out there and, and first of all, it's gorgeous. Um, it's it's right there in the Shenandoah Valley um, and, and it's absolutely gorgeous. Um, I think he's got he about a thousand Swope, acres. Virginia. Yeah, Swope. It looks yeah. like Swoop, but it's Swoop. But um, it, here's another thing too I, I would say. I don't, I don't know where you live in the country, but um, if you get a chance during the summer to go to one of his lunatic farm tours... He goes around and he focuses primarily on livestock. He doesn't do as much gardening. He does a lot of livestock. But the the lunatic farm tour is it, it's a lot of fun. Um, Joel's a crack up. Yeah. Like Joel, mm-hmm. Joel is a. Joel, I'm just I'm not going to spoil it for you because you just need to go on the the farm tour where where Joel just sits there. But he is like easily. I mean, we would. He's kind of like the godfather of so yeah. much of this. And and you you might expect that this guy has gotten to a point where like he's he's such a big name and and um I mean really just appreciated within the community. He'll just sit there on the porch swing out there and you know chat with you as you, yeah. you know for he's just a super nice guy, super great family. Um but yeah, if 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 you were looking the the resources that are available on sites like Homesteaders of America, I know we signed up for Abundance Plus too to watch mm-hmm. some of the stuff on there, but um I just there's just a lot of information and and again, I find it one of the things I love that you guys are doing is the part about the homesteading as a source of income. Right. Uh, because we did it initially as we just want a little bit more control over our, our food. And we want to see, like it, it was, it was curious to me, like how, how much of the grocery store can I cut out of this equation? Not because every year we were going to be focused on, we got to have this much cattle and this right. much pigs, but I want to know, I want to know what, what are we capable of? What can we learn? How can we get up to the point so we know we can do it if we need to. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously we, we also have a child too that has uh, food allergies yep. and that became something as well where it's like, gosh, you know, when, when things get bad and you can't get the medication, you know, w- what do you do? Or can you just get off the medication altogether? Like what, what's the process? Well, you got to grow for that is meat. Cause yeah. the, the carnivore diet was the only thing that worked for her. Yeah. She couldn't sustain it. It was just too much. Was, yeah. She needed, she needed her, she needed her bread. She likes her. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, you know, one of HOA's things is not just talking about homesteading, but showing people how to do it. And yeah. the business side of that comes naturally for a lot of people. A lot of people are like, okay, now I have an overabundance of things. What do I do with it? Um, yeah. So we had a, a business event in Tennessee last year last year, maybe before, I don't know. I've lost track of time. And, um, we, we taught people, how do you pay for the farm from the farm? Um, we have workshops, uh, b- before our event each year and Sean and Beth Doherty, they, yeah. they teach that. How do you make money from the farm? Not necessarily killing yourself, but selling your abundance. Um, I need to go to that. Yeah. And that, so, that's the part that's intimidating to me is to sell anything. Cause yeah, that's that I have never done that. So it, I should go to well, your, our, our I should youngest, go to that. Our youngest, so here's what's fascinating is like Tina, Tina got into bees last year. And I'm the sort of person where when I think something's interesting, 
I just go to the animal auction with my youngest daughter and come home with stuff. And she's like, what did you get? I said, oh, we got a peacock, a chinchilla, you know, five more chickens. And and check out this pheasant. And where are we going to put it? Like, ooh, that is a good question. (laughs) (laughs) Whereas whereas when Tina's doing something, she meticulously, like, researches everything and finds people within the local community that she can go to and learn from and and then make sure she has everything ready to go so it's going to be successful. So I am very much the impulsive... And me, when me and my youngest daughter are at the poultry auction together, that's the worst possible scenario because we are sitting there like texting Tina is almost like a form of torture. Like, Hey, what do you think of this animal? She's like, are you really bringing home sheep? Like, like we don't, yes. where are we going to put them? <laughs> okay. Well, I we want a donkey is what I want. Yeah. Yes, you need a donkey. And we had sheep um, yeah. and we just sold them to a friend, but sheep are so fun. But See? also really kind of annoying too. So oh. you know how the Bible talks about sheep, right? Like, yes. Yeah. You get to learn about that more when you get sheep and they are really stupid, but they're also really sweet. So. Yeah. I, I've, we've kind of felt that I've definitely learned the hard way several times with pigs. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, goats are a whole different story, but it love hate relationship. The, um, what was it? There was one thing I, I wanted to take this question from uh, Zim the Despot. <laughs> love love that name. Thank you for the super chat. I he love goes, all these handles. <laughs> Homestead, he goes, Homestead still has quite the impact on many people in Idaho. My mom's maternal great-grandfather's family homestead in 1914, and that part of the farm is still in operation. There, That is one of the things I, I thought was interesting is looking at the various states where one – much better. Some have much better homesteading laws than other or right. much better food freedom or medical freedom laws. Idaho has what seems to be an incredibly friendly legislature by comparison. Yeah. Um, and I, there, there's a lot of people. I was just talking to someone from Idaho the other day and he's like, I love my home state. I don't necessarily love everyone that wants to move to my home state <laughs> because they think it's beautiful and wonderful and then decide they want to run for a city council and yeah. change everything. Um what have you? What has been your experience with when when you do the conference, right? Which is every year in October. Do you guys keep track of like how many people, like how many states now are represented when they come to this? Yeah, a lot of them. So we, so obviously, like from the East Coast to the Midwest is very popular because people are closer to us. Um, but we have people from all over. I mean, we have a lot of people that come from California, obviously. Um, the West Coast, we have people who come from Germany even. Wow. Uh, wow. Australia. Um, I mean, just any country that you can think of. I mean, people really make this a big deal. And because what we're learning is, you know, America is very favorable to teach about this, but there are other countries. I mean, you look at Sweden, like they don't even allow homeschooling. And so there are other countries that are even more strict than America is. And so they're coming here to learn at HOA events and to feel like they're normal. Like the first year that we had it, I knew I had to keep doing this because there was a man sitting on the front row during a break that we had and he was holding his little girl and he was just crying. Really? And so I walked up to him to make sure everything was okay. I'm like, are you okay? And, and he goes, I just wanted to thank you. And I said, well, thank me for what? And he said, for, for doing this, he said, you know, we've been doing homesteading for about 10 years. We, um, we have our own kids. We've adopted children. We have about eight kids total. And he said, our family thinks we're crazy. Our friends all left us because they couldn't understand the way of living that we wanted to live. He said, for the first time in 10 years, we feel normal. Wow. And it just broke me. Like, the, they didn't have the support from their family or their friends. It was really weird. Like they didn't understand. People don't understand this way of living. They're like, why don't you just go to the grocery store? You can get a chicken there. Um, 
And so now it's just, that's another way homesteading has changed. It's because it's so much in your face now. It's acceptable now where before it wasn't, you were the weird person. Yeah. You know, we don't kind of like how homeschoolers felt like, especially like 20 years ago. Seems like it's almost like this difference between, you know, cause people, a lot of times they'll wonder who's going to do this if the government doesn't do it mm -hmm. or, or they're so used to a way things are done that, that doing something a different way seems super foreign and kind of weird. Right. And I feel like it's kind of an institutionalized way of thinking. Yeah. I mean, like they've just been locked into these, these societal institutions and I mean, government does this. And well, and, and the other thing too is I had someone tell me like, Oh, so you, you hate big ag, right? Like, no, I, I don't. <laughs> I don't hate big ag. I, I don't think we need to outlaw monocultures. Like, I don't know. That's not me, right? What I believe in is, is that what I don't like is when big ag comes down and tries to make what they're doing illegal. Right, right. right? I, what I want is greater freedom for people to make their own decisions. And, and, if you, and if you want to just exclusively go to the grocery store and never plant anything in your life, God bless you. That's your choice. Um, but this is, there is another way out there. And, and one of the things that's so important about, you know, again, a free society is where we allow people to explore different decisions because you never know when you might one day end up depending on that. You might end up depending on the friend you thought was weird. Um, I mean, how many people, when, when the price of eggs went up, you know, we, we felt like, I mean, we felt like ballers, like we're walking into church, oh, yeah. like you get a dozen <laughs> eggs, you get a dozen <laughs> eggs. What's up? How you doing, player? I did. I had <laughs> one one person that I I gave them two dozen eggs, thinking, yeah. "Oh, this will be nice for you." I'm, I'll I'll give you two dozen <laughs> eggs. This is like this was at the height, you the know, height. I mean, yeah. they were like that. Was, that's like fifteen dollars worth of eggs. That was cash money, right there. Right, <laughs> and um, she tells me that her family won't eat the eggs. Oh yeah, because they're used to. Uh, store-bought eggs and they they just kind of don't trust it. Yeah, and I'm going, are you kidding? Everything, <laughs> everything is fear-based. It seems yeah. like in people that they're just so used to doing it this way. And, and same with yeah. like homeschooling versus public schooling, you know, um, home remedies and, and, yeah. you know, different, different ways of doing things. It, it, it's all fear. Yeah. Based, if people like. knew, if people knew, what their grocery store food had in it. Oh so, you know, here's an example. We butchered chickens a couple months back and I pulled a chicken out of the freezer and I let it sit in my fridge probably too long. And I'm like, I'm going to get it out. It's going to stink. I'm not going to be able to use it. It did not stink at all. So if my homegrown chicken that sat in my fridge for over a week didn't stink when I pulled it out, but the chicken I bought at the store two days ago does, how old is that chicken? Yeah. You know, and pe people should fear that, not homegrown good food. And it there's a lot of unlearning that has to happen with homesteading and natural living. There's a lot of unlearning in a lot of things in life because you are taught a certain way. It's habitual, right? Yeah. Like this is just what everyone does. This is what we're going to do. And so it was weird in the beginning when people started homesteading and there's, we get this all the time. People's families still think they're crazy when they decide yeah. to do it. And that's fine. But what we saw in 2020 was those people weren't crazy anymore yeah. because they were the only ones with food. 
They were the only ones who could help you. And, you know, we, we know people who grow grass fed beef and, um, it was slow going for them when they started, but when 2020 hit, they ran out because nobody had beef. The stores were calling them wanting beef, you know, like old country stores were calling and, um, saying, can we carry your product for people? Because they're looking for it and they can't find it anywhere. And so, you know, HOA's thing has always been, but even more so in the last few years, how do we build a system beside the broken system yeah. where we are taken care of, our families are taken care of. And when I say your community, I don't mean the entire county. I mean the 10 families that are around you and your family. That's your community. Yeah. It's not, you know, the people, hundred of people at the farmer's market. That's great. That is a community. But your community is who's around you. Yeah. And how are you going to take care of them? Because they're going to know, oh, they've got a cow in their yard. You know, I can go to them. So preparing now because something's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's inevitable. We saw 2020. That's not the first time and it, it won't be the last time. And so what we're seeing in HOA is just a hyper speed of people. I mean, we like you said, we sold out in 45 days this year, yeah. which is unheard of. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't believe it. Like people thought I was joking. People thought it was a marketing scheme yeah. when I said, if you don't buy your tickets now, they're going to be gone. And so then of course I had people mad at me. Well, you didn't tell us. Yes, I did tell you. <laughs> I told you I wasn't lying. Yeah. And so, but what we're seeing is people, you know, before it was nice, let's go our own food. Let's do these things. But now it's like, we have to do this, mm-hmm. not just for our family, but the people we're going to have to take care of. Yeah. And so they're more open. Their hearts are more prepared to be involved in po- politics, you know, to be involved in their town and County. Um, and there's just a different heart behind it. And so to us trying to encourage that and seeing that be cultivated in people is pretty incredible. Well, speaking of that, you... I, I had a question oh, real sorry, quick. Uh, just because I, I always hear about, you know, organizations and and, um, and folks doing, like, these really nice things for everybody else, and then some rando goes through and, like, reports them, and they get right. shut down and things like that. How, I mean, is there a risk um, of, of people coming to the Homestead uh, Convention just to take notes and be a villain basically we've had that yeah we we, and we've we've had um you know we've had people that we've had to remove or um do more investigations on i mean we did we actually had a a woman come from monsanto one day to (laughs) and take a class which i'm like maybe she'll actually learn something um but i mean we're talking not even monsanto like beyond that um, and you know, we, we have to have security at our events. We, we have to pay attention to what people are doing because there are people that come and try to take notes. I mean, I can't tell you how many people under the guise of I'm helping you yeah. have tried to get homesteaders to map out their property for them. Um, here, let me give you free drone footage and I will mark out everywhere your stuff is. And then I will give it to you for free please don't do that. Like they're looking at your property. They're doing it for a reason. And people don't get that. Like the world is not inherently good. Mm -hmm. And so what they're doing with it, I don't know, but we have to warn people constantly. Like there is an enemy out there and you have to be careful. This doesn't mean you have to fear everything. Yeah, yeah. You shouldn't be so fearful to the point where you don't um, build your community, Mm -hmm. but you do have to use wisdom. Yeah, it definitely makes you a lot more guarded yeah. on who you talk to, what you talk about, and and how well you know people. I mean, gosh, being in politics, we're actually really used to folks going and trying to like inform <laughs> on you and like mm-hmm. say, you know, say whatever. But I, I would imagine there 
it seems to me like there would be a somewhat political side of this just because of how many interests don't want right homesteaders and and they want people dependent on what they're providing and and so I was just curious on on how. Yeah, we we could tell some stories on that. Yeah, but we you know, we just try to keep it keep it real and calm and yeah, pay good. attention and as much as possible. Well, the more more normal you make it, the better, right? Yeah. All right, we have a quick question from Eye of Insanity on the MTA channel. How do you work out how quickly to get into homesteading when one spouse is gung-ho, me, but the other spouse is reserved, my wife, though admittedly she is trying to be supportive? Yeah, so here's the thing is I had to learn early that if my husband was okay with like building things, he's yeah. like, I will build things. Um, but I had to be okay with I'm not going to make my spouse do something they don't want to do. Yeah. And there's a whole lot of things that you can do on your own that chickens and even a cow, um, you know, just do the stuff that you can do. And eventually it proves to them, oh, this is healthier. Oh, I do feel better. I do enjoy eating that meal, you know, that we grew all on our own. There's, there's satisfaction in that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's, it really is empowering. Like, oh, we grew this, we can do this. And a lot of times it's um, it's a mental block. Like you're wasting your time. You're spending more money because everybody thinks that when you <laughs> homestead, it's cheap. Yeah. It's not cheap. <laughs> but the reality is like when you really break it down, it is cheaper to grow an organic or non-GMO chicken at home than it is to buy one at the grocery store. Like we sell our chickens for $20 a bird because they're organically fed, non-GMO fed and free ranged. And so if you were to buy that at the store, you'd spend a lot of money. And if you bought it from us, you'd spend a lot of money, but grow it yourself and it comes out to like, you know, a dollar a, a bird per pound. And so it's, it's cheaper in some ways. It's just, it seems more laborious, but when we can it's almost like teaching your spouse, yeah. you know, you're not doing this just to be cheaper. You're doing it because it is a better way. And eventually they'll see that, but it can take years. We, we, Tina and I kind of, we settled on some things um, when we started doing this. Cause I, I was a little bit more gung ho um, initially. And so the, here was the situation that we kind of worked out. There were things that um, I wanted to do and I didn't, I wasn't going to make, I was going to demand that my passion be her passion. Mm -hmm. So if I wanted to try things and I wanted to grow things and I wanted to do stuff, it was, it was understood that it was my responsibility to do that because she already had a ton of other things she had to do. And then when Tina wanted to do bees, it's not that I won't help with that, but it's, it's also understood that that's her primary responsibility. So my primary responsibility has been the garden. Like kids have different chores with, again, one of our, our son primarily does the chickens. Our daughter primarily does the goats. Um, and so what we've done is we, we kind of found over time what we enjoyed, uh, what we liked to do. And then we did more of that. Like if, if you're doing a bunch of things that you hate or right. you're forcing your spouse to do a bunch of things in order to cover down on something that you like, you're going to create resentment. Um, but when like, I, I get this sense of like enormous pride when I come in and, and it's like my tomatoes I have provided. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and by the way, th to your point, the other thing that ends up becoming, I think that generates additional interest, maybe from the spouse that isn't as interested at the moment is when like, I can't buy store-bought salsa anymore. Right. Like, are you kidding me? Like, that's not a thing, right? It's because it's just so much better when, when we do it. And so 
if, if you're making the experience fun and you're not putting a bunch of additional work on your spouse in order to do something and they start to recognize a benefit from it and you're happy doing it. Like if you're stressed out and miserable doing all this, you probably need to pare down yeah. to something a little bit more, you know, mind. but joy is contagious, man. Mm-hmm. Joy is contagious. And when you, when you start to experience that, um, I mean, it's, they, they're going to want to, it's going to generate interest, yeah. right? Absolutely. One last question here. This is going to be quick from Melissa Marie. Is everything on the HOA Virginia specific or does the content apply nationwide? Oh, it's definitely nationwide and beyond. I mean, we so we named it Homesteaders of America because that's obviously where we are. Um, it's not Virginia specific. We actually have conversations on there about different regions. Um, and so obviously, like growing food in Virginia is totally different than growing food in Idaho. And so we do try to have conversations on there from different locations. Um, and so it's really for the whole nation. It's not just Virginia and beyond. Like I said, we have people that come from other countries. Um, you know, maybe one day we'll go to another country. I don't know. We'll see what the Lord has for that. But um, it's just for everyone in, in every location. And we try to keep it as diverse as possible. No, I want well, I'll say when you when you look at the information on there um, on how to do things, I mean, that's universal, right? Mm-hmm. You, you could do that everywhere. It's it's more like the, the legal components that might you might have to check out with your local state laws yeah. and things like that. But um, yeah, like I said, the the conferences. Now, I know you have you have a couple of the things coming up. Um, before the conference that I think there is still some room available or just things you want to make sure that people know that you guys do women in homesteading, the commercial aspect of homesteading. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So everything for the Virginia event for October is sold out, but we do actually have a women's event that's happening. You should come. When is this? It's uh, November. It's the second weekend in November. It's at Joel's farm. Um, So I think we're going to be in California. Yeah. It's around veterans day. Or whatever okay. that is. Yeah. Yeah. November um, 11th. Is yep. I'm saying. So, um, it's going to be at Polyface farm where we have women in homesteading coming and, um, learning about homesteading, but not just homesteading. It's also homemaking and homeschooling and just their life in general as a woman homesteader. Ooh. And so what do you bring to this? You know, if you're going to go like, let's say I got a ticket, what do I need? What <laughs> yeah. do I do? do just what you. do I need to expect? Okay. Um, so we have lots of coffee. All right. And we have Polyface Farm food. So breakfast and lunch. All right. And so we feed you too. And it's just such a fun atmosphere. It's so laid back. And there, I mean, we have women that have created lifelong relationships um, being with other women at this event because it's small. It's only about 250 people. And so we just learn together. We ask lots of questions. And like this year, we're going to have a um, parenting and marriage question and answer panel. Um, so yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun and that's our last event for the year. And what, what's the date on that one? Um, Oh, I think it's the 11th. 11th? 11th? I might be able to go. Let's see. Yeah. If we're not gone. 11th is Lily's birthday. It's the 10th and 11th. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, I could probably go. Yeah. We're not, we're not leaving until like the 13th, I think. Um, Christian Burton had a, uh, a question for us. Thank you very much for the super chat. He goes, how do we get back to a free market? Can our choices move the needle? Will government, will government continue hindering, regulate more? Where does it begin in the legislature? Uh, Christian, I'll tell you this. The, one of the reasons why we talk so much about things outside of the political process is not because the political process isn't important, but when you have stronger communities that are built around things like homesteading, where now people are becoming aware of how their food is being managed through legislation or through policy um, and how it can be done different. Once you have a community of that, what you have is a constituency. 
And the important thing to understand about moving the needle within a political process is you need a constituency to help you move the needle. Because ultimately, the way democratic processes work, right, the way elections work, is this is a numbers game. And so, yes, I'm not saying that every politician is just sitting there watching the numbers to see, you know, how they're going to vote on something. We, we bring down our principles and our ideas and whatnot. But I want you to imagine that you have a bill that's going before a subcommittee, and this is going to be incredibly influential for the way, you know, you can conduct yourself in a free market, right? Maybe it's food freedom, maybe it's medical freedom, maybe it's a regulatory, whatever it is. On that panel, you probably got 20% of the subcommittee that they already know how they think about this. They, they already know based off of their own political philosophy, their own ideology. They already know how they think. You're going to have other people that think they, yeah, I, I lean toward this way, I lean toward that way. And then you're going to have a couple people that have no idea. No idea. If you show up with 20 people for that bill. And, and everyone there knows what they're there to talk about and they know what they're there to emphasize and they have examples that they're providing. Those people that are not necessarily ideologically driven on one side of this issue, all of a sudden they're looking to go, you know, this makes a lot of sense. And, and obviously there's a lot of people that are really interested in this. And, you know, yeah, I don't see why we need to have these regulations when this can be done in a, in a particular way that seems very safe. And now you move the needle. Well, I will tell you this much. Most people don't understand about 70% in Richmond. I'll use Richmond as an example for Virginia. Um, we will see 2,000 bills in 60 days. Minimum, 2,000 bills in 60 days. 60 to 70% of them will die in a subcommittee somewhere. That means out of your 100 delegates, right, in the, in the Virginia election, out of your 100 delegates, you know, nine people saw that bill. Nine people. But I'll tell you this much, you get a bill passed committee and you get in onto the floor, 90 to 95% chance it's passing. It's going through. And so if you have a, if you have a good, strong community, if you've built this community, if this is something that's interesting to you and you're, you're plugged in with an organization like Homesteaders of America, you're not showing up by yourself. Now you're showing up, you know, with a group where you're able to talk about things and you're able to move the needle in that subcommittee. Because by the time it gets to the floor, all the other delegates are like, well, yeah, I know my colleagues that sit on that subcommittee. If they thought this legislation was okay and they didn't have any major issues with it, well, then I shouldn't have any major issues yeah. with it. And, and this is not people being lazy. Like some people say, do you read every bill? Let me ask you a question. I sit on four committees. Why would I read every single bill that's going to come before the General Assembly when most of them I will never get to vote on anyways because it's going to go to some other committee? No, what I do is I focus in on the bills that are coming before the committees I sit on. And then when bills come to the floor and it's my first time seeing it, I'm going to look at that bill. And I'm also going to ask the, my colleagues on the committee that I trust. I'm going to say, what do you think about this? Or why did you vote this way on this? Right? So when you can generate that sort of presence at a subcommittee, man, you have a massive influence. But I, I will tell you, too many people think that they're just going to pick, I'm, I called my legislator. Right. All right, dude, you and you and a thousand other people, man, I'm sorry. That's just the reality. But now all of a sudden you're plugged into a group. You understand a little bit more. You show up to Homesteaders of America conference and you get a bunch of really good classes on everything you, you wanted to learn about from processing chickens to raising goats to, you know, keeping bees to growing tomatoes better. And then, oh, by the way, there was another thing that you sat through where it taught you what's the best way to lobby your local government, your state government, your federal government. What's the best way to, to do that as part of a, a unit that's actually going to get some results done. So that's why we do things like this. That's why we have people like Amy on is because we want people to know that there's a bigger community that if you're a part of that community, that carries weight with the legislature. And if you want to get back to a freer market, 
All right, that's where it starts. It starts with constituency showing up for the right reasons, knowing what they need to do with legislators that are allies to them and want to help them through the process. And then you get it done. You get it done. And, and again, <laughs> there, there's a, I can't remember who said this. It's kind of like it's just a totem right at this point, but it's like, there's nothing that succeeds like success. Um, when, when you have a, a very healthy organization that is doing great things and people are benefiting from it and, and think about it this way. It's not just your people in the immediate community. When everybody at your church is like, holy crap, the price of eggs is ridiculous. Right. You're like, oh, I'll, I'll bring you some. Um, when that person, when your neighbor who doesn't do any of this stuff with you, you know, really appreciates the fact that you brought over some extra, you know, watermelons or tomatoes or zucchini or whatever it was, and, and they really get the benefit of it as well. You're creating allies. You're creating allies for this where they're like, yeah, I don't understand why, why you can't be able to do that. My neighbor does that and it works out great. Or you know what? My neighbor gave me this home remedy that we never thought of. And it's excellent. We absolutely love it. And then when you call them up and say, Hey, would, would you mind calling up yeah. your legislature? That has an impact, but that's, that's where it starts. It starts with actually doing something good yeah. and then being able to make a good argument for why the government should get the heck out of the way and let you continue to do it. Okay, I know, I know we're sensitive on time here. You're I know fine. you've you've got You're places fine. to go. Um, one other thing I, I just want to do kind of around the world on the stuff that you guys are already doing. We've talked about the conferences coming up, tickets are already sold out, but there's gonna be another one next year. There is, and those will go on sale in January. Those will go on sale in January. We've also got the uh, women in homesteading, which is gonna be up at Joel Salatin's place. That's November 10th and 11th. Yep. Um and this is going to be, t tell us a little bit more about everything that's going to go on with that. That's where you're. Yeah. So it's, it's women focused, obviously. Yeah. Um, and so it's just a time for women to get together and learn about homesteading, but also what women like to learn about. Like we like to learn about parenting and marriage. And um, there is definitely a Christian aspect to that one. Uh, so we're actually on Saturday. So last year we did, it was our first year. We had Francesca Battistelli last year come. Oh. Um, and she did some times of worship last year. Oh wow! So this year we actually have a local uh, woman pastor that's coming and she'll be teaching on Saturday evening just to give encouragement to women as who they are in Christ and who they are as homesteaders, whether they're just raising chickens or going all in. Um, and so that's about half sold out. Um, and those tickets, uh, certain ticket levels come with food, lots of coffee. There's coffee for everybody. <laughs> Last year it was really cold, uh, but we actually it worked out great because we have them in Joel's greenhouses, his hoop houses. And so it's just a fun setting. I mean, just to see so many women. And so women are so influential in the home in general, because a lot of times homesteading starts with women. So you're, you're an example of not that, but, <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of times it does because women are managing their homes and they, they want better for their family. And so um, this is kind of like that catalyst of encouragement. We have so many women that come that don't have a spouse that's supporting them. And so they're able to find that community with other women and it's just a really good time. So, so we got that coming it. up. Then, um, what, what is explain it again, real quick, just so everyone knows, because people kind of jump in and out of the, uh, the feed sometimes, what is the other classes that you guys do on, and again, the, the homesteading is actually 
creating a part of your income. Right. Uh, so that was an event we did in Tennessee one year. So we have okay. the recording of that entire event. It's yeah. on our membership. And um, we hope to have another event like that soon, but we just haven't planned it yet. Um, and so it teaches people basically um, from anything from how do you grow chickens? How do you figure out the cost of growing those chickens so that you can be sustainable and not lose money? Um, from that to like Sean and Beth during that class taught about how do you have an Airbnb Airbnb that's farm based where uh, you could grow your food for your Airbnb and it, your Airbnb pays for your farm and uh, or growing at a farmer's market or whatnot. So that is available online for our membership. People can go back and watch that. Um, and then we may have future events. We just don't know until we sit down at the end of the year and kind of figure out what we want to do, uh, where we want to go. Um, and so there, we haven't planned anymore for next year, but next year's conference will still be in October. Those tickets will go on sale in January and if it's anything like this year, then you should probably get <laughs> them the first day. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Get it, get it. Be prepared in January to, to buy those. So, um, listen, just, just kind of wrapping this up. Cause again, I want to, I want to thank Amy for all the time that she gave us today. But, uh, yeah, if you, if you are at all interested in any of this and don't be intimidated by the word homesteaders as if you're going to have to move out to the middle of Kansas and completely provide all of your own food or else you're not a real homesteader. This really is about a, a culture of building not only resilience, but really kind of thriving with, with taking, taking control once again, back over, over a part of your food supply, maybe over a part of your medicine. And, and I have to tell you too, one of the things that we have really loved about it is that it is a great way to, to connect with your kids. Um, it, it is a great way to build skills that again, I, we can't emphasize this enough. It is so wonderful to have skills that are useful no matter what yeah. happens, no matter what the technology is, no matter what the economy does, that nobody can take away from you, right? People can take all sorts of things. They can. We've seen how they've deplatformed people. We've seen how they can shut down your bank account. Like there's crazy stuff that has happened to people that have gotten have run afoul of what the popular narrative was with respect to the government. Nobody can take away your ability to grow food, mm -hmm. right? You you can do that. And so learning these capabilities is a lot of fun. The communities that you're going to meet are a lot of fun. And, and again, this is one of the things that I emphasize a lot. Um, know your people. Yeah. Who are your people? When, when the crisis happens, when it doesn't happen, like this is the other thing that's so great about this is people think that, okay, is all this for naught if the zombies don't come? No, it, it is a wonderful thing. If things are going poorly, you've got a plan that is going to help you and your family to be able to write it out. And if things go wonderfully, you've got a group of great people that you're able to get better food from, maybe better medicine from, that you're just going to have a good time hanging out with. And all of that is valuable. And all of that is valuable. So I want to thank Amy very much. Um, tell us real quick, where can people also find you? We got the website, homesteadersofamerica.com. Um, what are also some of the social media sites, YouTube, Instagram? Yeah, we have YouTube, Instagram. We're, we're really active on uh, Instagram and then Facebook as well. So you can find us there. We actually have a community group on Facebook where you can go and learn more on social media. You can post questions. You can share what you're doing. We have people on there that are like, hey, look at this cool tomato I grew. You know, yeah. things like that to really create community in places other than just in their house, you know, um, share with other people what their thoughts are, um, talk about legislature that's coming up. So there's a couple of different options for that on there. Uh, and members also have their own group on Facebook as well. 
All right. Well, those are all very, very good reasons. So go out there, go ahead and uh, find a membership that you want to join and then go and follow them on all the social media, follow them on the social media, give them, give them an even larger platform to be able to share this information, to be able to expose your friends to wonderful and great and resilient ideas. Once again, I want to thank everybody for joining us, everybody in the chat and for their questions and super chats. Also for the people within our community chat, if you want to learn more about how to actually influence the sort of episodes that we have, perhaps the guests we invite on, that's a great place to do it. And there's going to be links within the show notes for that. Once again, Amy, thank you for joining us and we will see everybody next episode.